Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Before we get started and before I make an introduction with our guests, um, I know most of you, if not all of you, know the tragic events that happened in Santa Fe, Texas. And there is a response that we have that is needed and necessary. I know that we're not there in the moment. Sometimes words aren't enough, actions aren't enough, but every one of us can pray and we always need to pray. Amen? So I know prayers have gone up individually, I think collectively as a church, for this church to come together and just release our faith for God to move and work in this situation is is a powerful, wonderful thing that we're going to do in just a moment. But we know that we live in evil times. It's no excuse. We never should get used to these kind of reports. We should always believe for God's best. But we know Jesus really is the only answer. He is. And I know there's great smart men and women trying to come up with ways to try and keep events and things like that happening. But the reality is the world is just going to keep getting darker and darker. And that's why we need to shine brighter and brighter. Amen. And take the life, love, and power of Jesus everywhere we go. So if you wouldn't mind, I always like to do the standing. So if you wouldn't mind, let's stand up for just a moment and let's join in prayer together and extend our faith for God moving and working in the hearts and lives of all those that have been touched. So Father, we do, we just come to you. Uh, Lord, we, 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 we come to you without any answers, and there aren't any, but we come to you, Father God, knowing that you are the answer, and we ask you to move and intervene in the hearts and lives of everyone impacted. We pray first for the victims, Father God, and for those that have lost their lives to their families, Lord, as they try and cope with that, that grieving and that hurt. We say, Holy Spirit, come and be the comforter. Uh, come and find a way into their hearts and lives and do what only you can do. Give hope in the midst of hopelessness and, and bring light in the midst of darkness. Those that are in recovery, Father God, we pray, Father, for uh, quick recovery, uh, healing and wholeness, restoration, not just in their bodies, but in all their minds and emotions. We pray for the so many that were there uh, on campus and, and their families that the teachers and administration and students that were impacted, Father God. We just rebuke fear. We stand against, Father God, any avenue or door the enemy would try and open into the hearts and lives of people. And we pray, Father God, for that to be shut. We know, Father, there's wise men and women uh, trying to, to make decisions on how to prevent these things, Father God. We pray for wisdom from heaven in Jesus' name. And even things that might sound good to man, we pray, Father God, that they're listening to the wisdom of God. We know, Father, really ultimately the best answer, the only answer is the life, love, and power of Jesus. So may your light shine brighter now than ever before. Be with them, Father God. Help them. Embrace them in your love. And may they know that they're not alone in the midst of their hurt and tragedy and darkness, that there is a God and he is real and he loves them. We just join our faith now for all those involved. And we pray, Father, do what only you can do in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If everyone just remain standing for a minute, I'm going to make a quick introduction because I want him to have as much time as possible. Pastor Gerald Brooks is with us this morning. He pastors Grace Outreach. Amen. You'll hear the staff cheer. The staff, the staff will cheer because every year we go to his leadership conferences and they are fantastic. Such a great wisdom, local church. I personally appreciate the relationship that I have. He and my dad were best friends. So we go way back, way, way back when I was just like this. No, okay, not that far back. But so he and my dad were best friends. So I value him speaking in my life as a pastor and I value that he, he speaks in my life as I'm a son and he's a dad. And so it's very special for him to be here today. In fact, he called me a few weeks ago because I always tell him, because he always has, uh, you, schedule's always full. And I totally know why I understand that. And I said, anytime anybody cancels, and then I selfishly prayed somebody would cancel. I'm sorry, I don't know if that's right or godly. But somebody did, so he called me and I said, yes, please come. He said, does it work for you? And I said, it doesn't matter, it will work. So come and be with us. And so if you would give a big warm tree of life, welcome to Pastor Gerald Brooks. Thank 
you so much. Um, if I if I could just say this, because um, Don's dad and I were very good friends. Um, Don, your dad is so immensely proud of you. He he just is. When he's looking down from heaven, he's just turning to Jesus and said, "That's my boy," and he's he's happy with that. And Karen, you know how much Jenny and I love you and just admire you so much. Thank you for all you've done for the kingdom. Great, great job. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you today because we need your help. You're an amazing God, but you're the only one that can help us today. See, you're the only one that knows everyone in this room. You're the only one that knows everything about everyone that's in this room. And so we're dependent on you. Father, you're the one that knows the best of us and you know the worst of us. You know the things that we do right. You know the things that we do wrong. You know the things that we tell everyone and you know the things that we tell no one. And because, Lord, you're the person who knows all of that, you're the one who can minister. You know the unique combination to each life here and each heart here. And you somehow, in the midst of a series of words, can begin to unlock those hearts. And so today we just invite the spirit of God to minister. We ask the Lord that through the spirit of God and the word of God that you would do something amazing today. And it is always our heartbeat and it is always our prayer that when we're said and done, you'll help us to be more like Jesus than ever before because that is our prayer in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. We all agree together saying, well, you can be seated. Thank you so much. Uh, today, I want to take a few moments. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe that's a phrase that uh, you've heard before. Maybe it's the first time you've heard it. But I want to talk to you a little bit about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And I want to launch from two verses of Scripture spoken by our Lord and Savior, Acts chapter 1 and verse 5. It said, John truly baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 where it says, and the Spirit of God shall come upon you and you shall receive power and you shall become witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. So I want you to hold Acts chapter 1, verse 5 in mind, and then Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 in mind. And if you just sort of hold on to those verses, what I want to do is I want to take you back in history to the year 1919. Uh, The reality is, is that probably no one in this room was alive during the year 1919. But if you went back to that year, you know that in history, it is a defining time because what was called the Great War has finally ended. What was the war that they hoped to end all wars has finally reached a conclusion. In fact, it's called that because their, their, their heart's desire was that there would never be a war in humanity of that magnitude. Unfortunately, they were wrong and there have been many since. But during that period of time, uh, the British Empire, who had colonized what we call the Arabian Peninsula, so think where Saudi Arabia is uh, and Kuwait, areas like in there, who had colonized that, had a dilemma. And that was because the war was going on in Europe, what they needed to do was to really take all their troops from that region, bring them over to Europe so they could fight the war. But there was a problem. There was a, a, a group called the Ottoman Empire, and if you know where 
Turkey is today. That's where the Ottoman Empire was. And they always had designs on the Arabian Peninsula. And so what the British did was they, they sort of threw out that, that last pass of a football game in hopes that maybe it would uh, be effective. And that is they took a young British officer and said, we're going to ask you to do what's impossible. What we're going to ask you to do is to go over to the Arabia Peninsula, take the nomadic tribes that have always fought with each other and unite them together so that they could be a military blocking force preventing uh, the uh, Ottoman Empire from coming down. They really didn't think it would be effective. They didn't think that he would be able to do it, but he pulled off what is considered one of the most brilliant military feats of all time, and he was able to do it. But in the process of uniting these tribes together, he fell in love with them, and he began to realize the possibilities of what these tribes would do if they just had an awareness. So what he did was at the end of the war, he began to talk to all the chieftains, and he said, I want to take you to Europe. I want to show you the history. I want to show you the art. I want to show you the architecture. I want to show you what you've never seen before. He literally loaded them up on a ship. They began a tour of Europe. As they began this tour, everything was fine. They were seeing things that were uh, different than they'd ever seen before. They were seeing possibilities that they never dreamed of before. But in the midst of that, uh, they finally concluded by being at a hotel at the very end of the trip. But this hotel was different than any other hotel that they had been to because all the other hotels were the standard hotels during that day, if you were going to wash your hands, there was a pitcher of water, there was a basin, you would take the water, you would pour it in the basin, that's how you would uh, wash, and that was the way it was done. But this very last hotel had been built, and it had running water in it. And this was going to be a game changer. Now, imagine that if you had spent your whole life in a desert, what would be the most valuable resource to you? It's going to be water. This is what they lived for. This is what they fought over. This is what they died to get and their ability to have it determined the, the life and death of their tribes. But at this hotel, for the first time, they could go to a wall, they could see a faucet, they could turn it on, they could turn it off. They could turn it on, they could turn it off. They had never seen anything like this. This was beyond their imagination to have personal control over water. They had two days left. He had an extensive agenda for them, but he couldn't get them to leave the hotel because they literally, for two days, turned the faucet on, turned the faucet off, turned the faucet on, turned the faucet off. This is what they did. He tried to get them out. He was unsuccessful in getting them out. And so he finally had to go get the tickets so they could get on the ship to head back. Uh, while he was gone, he came back and police were surrounding the hotel. He's thinking, what in the world has gone on? He makes his way through the police. He goes up into the rooms and each one of the chieftains had literally taken the faucets and ripped them out of the wall. 
He looked at them and he said, guys, what in the world are you doing? What are you doing? And they said, we've got to take this back. Our people need to see it. This is amazing. This is what they've got to see. If we can show them that when you turn this, you get water. When you turn it off, you get water. When you turn it, you get water. When you turn it off, you get water. This will change everything. And he looked at me and he says, guys, you don't understand. He said that faucet is hooked to a pipe. That pipe goes down the wall into the basement down there. In the basement, there are several tanks down there, and these large tanks are filled with water. But then on the other side of the tank, there is a pipe that goes out two miles, and it goes to a reservoir. And he said, it's not the faucet that matters, it's the reservoir that matters. When I heard that story, I thought to myself, man, he has been to church. See, I done this for 41 years. I know you want to get it out of your system. He is amazingly young looking for doing it 41 years. But I've done it for 41 years. And you know what I find all the time? I find out that Christians fall in love with faucets. They fall in love with the faucet. Oh, if we could have a little bit more of this kind of music, if we could go back and have that, then God would move. Well, if we could have this kind of service, then God would, they turn it on, they turn it off, they turn it on, they turn it off. No, we need more prayer meetings like this. No, we need that time when we'd really get in the Bible and we'd teach like this. And I find that Christians fall in love with faucets all the time. And what they forget was that when Jesus came and he said in the book of Acts, he says, I'm not trying to give you a faucet. I'm trying to give you a reservoir. And if you will accept that reservoir, that reservoir will change everything in your life. You won't need to be in that kind of church service because you can have it anywhere, anytime, any place. You won't need to be in it. But Christians get so consumed. They get locked up. Oh, I got to be in this. I got to be in it. Hey, if we had a little bit more caters, you know, that was when the church was really, really good. Remember when we used to have those long, long series? That's what we really need. Oh, that all-night prayer meeting. We need more of that. Oh, if we would just go back. Can I tell you, let go of the faucet and embrace the reservoir. So in God's perspective, he was saying, hey, I want you to accept something in your life. I want you to accept a reservoir. I want you to understand that if you accept that reservoir in your life, dimensions of your life will take on connotations that it would never be able to take on. Now, what Jesus does is he begins to introduce us to the Holy Spirit. But then Luke, the writer, he begins to take it even further because in the book of Acts, there's six phrases. Can you say six? There's six phrases that are used in the Greek to describe the dimensions of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to speed teach real quick and just give them to you. The first one is uh, baptized. Can you say baptized? It's what we read in Acts chapter one and and verse five, where it says, and you shall be baptized with the spirit. That's the first of the six phrases. The second phrase is found in verse eight, and it says, and the Holy Spirit shall come upon. Can you say come upon? It says, he will come upon you and you shall receive power. That is the second phrase. The third phrase is in Acts chapter two and verse four. And it says, and they were all filled with, can you say filled with? That's the third phrase. And then you go over to Acts chapter two and verse 17. And it says in there that he will pour out his spirit. Can you say poured out? 
That's the fourth phrase. And then in Acts chapter two and verse 38, it says, and you shall receive. Can you say the word receive? And then in Acts chapter eight, it says in there in verse 16, it says that the spirit of God will fall upon. Can you say fall upon? Now, these six phrases, baptized, come upon, filled with, poured out, received, and falling upon, describe what Jesus was saying that they would receive. Now, why is it that there are six phrases to describe the same experience? The reason is, is that God knew that one phrase was not going to be adequate to describe the dimensions of the Holy Spirit in your life when you accept that Holy Spirit in your life and what he wants to do. And so it wasn't one phrase. It's not just being baptized. It's not just having them come upon. It's not just being filled with. It's not just receiving. It's not just poured out. It is six different phrases. And each one of them tell us a nuance of what the Spirit of God wants to be. Now today for time, I can only talk to you about two of them. But I want to give you two of those words and how they describe the Holy Spirit. The first word is the word baptized. Can you say baptized? Now, when we say baptized, we always think of church. Because that word baptized isn't used. You're not going to walk in any corporate office. You're not going to go into any organization of business. And tomorrow, they're going to use the word baptized. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to be a part. Why? Because that word is a church word to us. When someone says baptized, if you have any Christian beliefs, you think, well, they were in church. They think of this or that. But baptized is a church word to us. But what you've got to understand is when Jesus used that word, it was a secular word. It was not a spiritual word. It was a secular word. It was a word that was used in everyday life. In fact, that word baptized was used in four ways. The first way is it would refer to a piece of cloth that was put in a vat of dye. So like my shirt that's mainly white, you would take that, you'd put it in a dye, and maybe the dye's blue, you'd put it in there, you would immerse it in there, you'd leave it there for a few minutes, you'd pull it out, and it would come out looking different. So where we would take a piece of cloth and we would put it in a vat and we would say that is dyed, they would say that it's been baptized. So if you took that cloth, put it in that vat, they would say it's been baptized. Second way that it was used is it was used to describe a ship. So a ship's in the ocean, and as the ship is in the ocean, it is sailing along, a storm comes, and all of a sudden the storm's too big for the ship. Now, when the ship was sailing, it was in the water. But now it's too big, the storm's too big for it, and it sinks. Now, the water's in the ship. So it was in the water, but now the water's in it. And we would say that that ship sunk. They would say that that ship was baptized, that it was baptized. It, it would describe an individual who was swimming. So they go out to the lake, they're swimming in the lake, they get out there in the lake and they get too far out, they can't get back. As they can't get back, they drown. What happened? They were in the water, but when you drown, where's the water now? It's in you. And because the water's in you, we would say that person drowned, but they would say that that person is baptized. 
but then it was used of how they would take bread from the table, they would break off a piece of it, and when they would break off a piece of it, they would dip it in the wine or the sauce, and they would say that when they dipped it in the sauce, we'd say they dipped it, but they would say that it was baptized, that they baptized it. So here's what you need to understand. This word was not a church word. It was a secular word. It had secular meaning. So when Jesus said that to the disciples, they're thinking how that word's used all the time. When we use that word, we're thinking how it's used in church, but they're thinking of a ship. They're thinking of a cloth. They're thinking of someone swimming. They're thinking of someone eating. Now, in this room, there are people in this room who religiously baptize on a regular basis. And you're sitting right next to some of them. Because if you lean over and you take a close look, here's what you know. You know that the color of their hair isn't the normal color. You know that's not how they look. You know that that's not really the color of their hair. And you know every six weeks they go someplace and have a baptism service. Because they go in looking one way and they come out looking another way and we say they got their hair done and God's saying they got baptized (laughs) because they went in looking this, they came out looking that. In fact, there's some people in this room, you look like me, and we're in need of a baptism service because it's wide, it's gray, and we need to go into a good baptism service and say, can you baptize me right now? Can you just baptize? I need a different color. I need a different look. We need it. But sadly, there are people in this room right now, you don't have anything to baptize. You don't have any hair up there. There's nothing to baptize. Nothing we would do would help you. It's going to stay what it is. You just don't have anything. You don't have that game. Uh, You're follically impaired, I think, is the way we, we say it. And so, because you're follically impaired, you know there's nothing to baptize. But see, some of you baptize all the time. You just baptize. You go into a place, it went in one way, you come out another way, you went in one way, it comes out another way. And so, in there, you're looking at it. And, and right now, in every church in America, the biggest questions that are being asked in church, there are two. When is he going to stop and where do we get to go eat? Those are the two biggest questions that are happening in every church service right now. When is that guy up there going to stop and where are we going to go eat? And some of you, that's going to be the critical decision. And I stand at the back door of my church. Can I tell you something? When I stand at the back door of my church, I stand there and what happens is, is people sit there and, and when you're out there, you listen to them. Well, where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to go to eat? I don't know. Well, let's go here. Well, I don't want to go there. Well, where do you want to go eat? And, and the biggest thing they ever do is talk about where they're going to eat. So people will be out there and you're thinking, God, lead them just so they can leave the lobby. And, and you're thinking because, you know, they just don't get it. But here's the deal. At lunch, some of you are going to have baptismal services because this is South Texas. You're going to get chips and salsa. And so when you get that chip, you're going to take that chip and you're going to baptize that sucker and you're going to put it down there and you're going to baptize it and you're going to say, I'm baptizing you in Jesus name. And then you're going to sit there and you're going to take that and you're going to have baptism services that are going to go on. And some of you are going to baptize hundreds. 
I'm just telling you, I see people out here that it won't be one chip you baptize. Some of you are in the hundreds that you baptize and you're going to baptize it. You know, and last night, uh, Don and Jessamy took us out and, and, and they sort of broke their diet that they're on. That's what I'm good for. Whatever you usually do, I'll change it. And, and so they broke their diet and they got this spinach thing with chips and she said, bring more chips, bring more chips, bring more chips. And, and man, man, our chips runneth over. And they were, they were, but, but I got to tell you, girl, baptizing and spinach dip, man, there, there's better than this girl. There's just better than that. And, and so she kept baptizing and baptizing and baptizing. I'm thinking, when do we get to go home? But she kept baptizing. See, the whole context of baptism was something goes in one way and comes out a different. Something used to be one way, but now it's a new way. It used to be like that, but now it's different than that. It used to be this, but now it's this. And what God says is, I've sent the Holy Spirit so that you don't stay what you've always been. I'm not sending the Holy Spirit so you can have a weekend. I'm sending the Holy Spirit so you can have a life. I didn't come so you could sit there and critique church and say this song, that song, this or that. I sent the Holy Spirit so you would be different than you've ever been. I want to baptize you with the Spirit. So baptism, it was a secular word. When Jesus brought that word into the church, they all knew what it meant. Something was going to be different. Something was going to look one way. It was going to be another way. Something was going to seem one way. It was going to be a different way. Something was going to be this. It was going to be that. Something was going to be different. But then there's a second word. And that second word or phrase is the phrase come upon. Now, baptism was never a church word. It was secular. The phrase come upon was always a church phrase. Every Jewish boy and girl grew up hearing it. They knew exactly what it was. They knew that that was a phrase. See, they were taught about the Old Testament, how the spirit of God would come upon the prophet. They had heard all the stories of of Samson and how the spirit of God would come upon him. He would come upon them. And when he would come upon them, what would happen is that when that occurred, Samson could do things he couldn't ordinarily do. He could do something. And that phrase come upon was a description in the Old Testament of taking off your jacket, putting it on the shoulders of somebody else. And when you put it on the shoulders of someone else, you enabled them. You enabled them to do something. And so in Acts 1.8, he says, and the spirit of God shall come upon you and you shall become witnesses. I'm going to enable you to do things. Baptism, I'm going to cause you to be different. Come upon, I'm going to enable you to do things that you couldn't ordinarily do. And so when they heard that phrase, they knew the spirit of God was going to come upon them. They knew the spirit of God was going to be there. They knew the spirit of God was going to be on top of them. And because the spirit of God was coming upon them, they would be able to do things they could never do. And what does it say? The spirit of God shall come upon you and you shall receive what? Power. There will be power that will come into your life. Now, let me build a bridge. Let me illustrate it this way. 
if I talk to the average guy in here, if he's not on top of his game, if I ask him, tell me the anniversary of your marriage, most guys will go 0 for 1. Tell me, tell me uh, your wife's birthday, 0 for 2. I've met guys that don't even know the names of their kids. So let me just start here. We're not always the most together group of people. So here's the deal. I know guys, they don't know when their anniversary is. You know, if they didn't have a cell phone that sort of gave them a two minute warning, they'd be dead. If, if they don't have any clue when their kids' birthdays are, they don't have any idea about that. But there's one thing I know every guy can tell me. I've never had a guy not be able to tell me, what was your first car? Every guy can tell me what their first car was. Everyone can. I mean, may not know your marriage, may not know your kids, you know your first car. For a guy, that is a transition point. My first car was a 1965 F85 Cutlass Oldsmobile. That was my first car. I loved that car. That car was a game changer to me. And the reason it was a game changer to me was because that car got me from here to there. I no longer had to bum a ride. I no longer had to beg for a ride. I was no longer dependent on anyone else. If I was at home, it would get me to school. If I was at school, it would get me to work. If I was at work, it would get me to home. If there's an event I wanted, it would get me from A to B. I love that car. That was my first car. I will always love that car. But here's the deal about that car. The way I got that car was this. My dad had bought it new. He drove it for a few years and he wrecked it. Then he gave it to my mom. And then she drove it for a few years and then she wrecked it. And then they gave it to my older sister. And then she drove it for a few years and she wrecked it and they gave it to me. That's how I got that car. When I got that car, it had matching dents on all four doors. It had been wrecked, you know, Bondo, all this kind of stuff needed paint. But I loved that car because I didn't have to ask anyone to go anywhere. It would get me from A to B. It would get me anywhere I needed to go. It would get me from A to B. But here's the thing. That car had power nothing. So if you were going to lower the window on that car, there's no hitting a little button, you're going to crank. You're going to get a forearm workout. You're going to crank, you're going to crank, you're going to crank, you're going to think, man, I've cranked a long time. And then you look up there and the window's about that far open. You're thinking, man, do I really want this? And you're going to crank and you're going to crank. There was no power windows. That car, there was no power steering. There wasn't any kind of power steering where you're going to be cool and you're going to drive. Hey. Hey, there's none of it. If you're going to turn that car, it's hand over fist, hand over fist, hand over fist. You're trying to make a turn, man. You are going to go over and over and over and over. But here's where it got really dramatic. At lunch, when my best friend and I would go someplace and we would buy uh, lunch and I'd have a hamburger in one hand and he'd have a hamburger in another hand. The only way that we could turn that car was synchronized turning. He would have to reach over with his free hand to grab and I would take my free hand because we both had a burger in our hand and we're sitting and we're turning that car. 
Now, that car didn't have any power brakes. You weren't going to do this little pump thing, you know, and look cool and everything. If you were going to stop that car, you looked like Fred Flintstone. Man, you were putting your feet down. You were going down. You were going down. And you're sitting there and you're pushing it and you're pushing it. And, and people are seeing your head go down. They know what you're trying to do. They're in the street and they're hollering. It's not going to stop. You're throwing the doors open to try to create drag to slow the thing down, just to slow it down. Because, man, you were going to get a workout. And then that, that car, it had a hole in its muffler. See, it was a biblical car because I had the cloud by day and fire by night. Some of you still drive a biblical car. You've got a cloud by day and fire by night because, I mean, that thing would just... And if you sat at, at, at a light and you had some of the kids whose families were wealthy, which mine wasn't because we kept handing down broken cars, but they got a new car or something like that, they'd sit there and they'd look at you and give you that look like you don't even belong. But see, if you put your foot on that thing because the hole was in the muffler, it sounded so good. Sounded like it had something, and they'd look at you like, man, you know, what'd you put in that engine and everything? So they'd do theirs, blah, blah, blah. And then the light would change and they'd take off, and you're still sitting there in the cloud. Uh, but that's the way that car was. It had power, it had power, nothing. But one day I got a different car. And I got this car because my dad had bought it new. He had driven it for a couple of years and then he had wrecked it. And then my mom had driven it for a couple of years and she wrecked it. Then my sister had driven it for a couple of years. I didn't know that there were non-wrecked cars that anyone could have. But when they gave me that car, it had power everything. I remember the first day I got it, I sat in the driveway just watching the window go up and down that you could hit a button and it would go up and it'd go down, it'd go up, it'd go down. For the first time, man, I could be cool. Hey, I didn't have to go hand over. I could just gently pump the brakes and the thing would stop. Now, here's what I want you to know. Both of those cars would get me from A to B. Both of those cars would get me from home to school, from school to work, from work to home, both of those cars. The only difference was, was my first car would get me from A to B, but my second car had power. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The day that you accept Christ, you're going from A to B. The moment you die, you're going to heaven. The moment that you accept Jesus, you're going to heaven. Oh, well, I got Jesus. I already got Jesus in my life. I don't need any of that stuff. Can I tell you? You're right. The moment you accept Christ, you go from A to B. If you die down here, you're going straight up there because of who Christ is, the sacrifice, you're going. But on the day of Pentecost, what God did was he said, I'm offering you a free upgrade. I'm offering you the free upgrade that no longer are you just going from A to B, but while you're going from A to B, I want to give you power so you can fulfill what I want to fulfill in your life. And so God's just sitting there and he's saying, hey, I've given you a free upgrade. I've given you, but I have people in my church who just sit there and they say, well, I'm not sure about that. I said, it's a free upgrade. 
You're already going from A to B. We're not disputing that you're going to heaven. We're not saying you don't have Jesus. We're not saying that God's not in your life. We're saying he's there. But he has given you a free upgrade. Some of you, if you went into a car dealership, you know what you're going to do. You're going to want to uh, haggle over every little thing. But what if the dealer looked at you and said, you know what? I think you're a good person. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a free upgrade. None of you would sit there and say, no, I don't want it. You take everything. It's only in the church that we push back and we say no. That we say, man, that's not what I want. But when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, when you're filled with the Spirit, when you receive the Spirit, when the Spirit is poured out upon you, when the Spirit of God falls upon you, what happens is you receive power to do what you haven't been able to do. And see, some of you, you've tried. It's not an effort of you trying. It's just you can't do it. Can we be honest, guys, when the Bible says, I want you to love your wife like Christ loves the church. That's a pretty ridiculous standard. That means I've got to think about my wife, Jenny, the way Jesus thinks about the church, which means I've got to love her when she's not acting loving to me. I've got to care for her when it seems like maybe she doesn't care for me. I've got to be interested in her when it doesn't seem like she may be interested in me. I've got to be there when she may not be there, all of those kind of things. It is an impossible standard, but marriage was never taught outside the context of the Holy Spirit, because if you go right above there, it says in there, but be filled with the Spirit. The only way a man can ever hope to be what God has for them is to have Christ and have the Holy Spirit. And the only way a wife can fulfill what the Bible says. And I want you to reverence and respect your husband like the church does Christ. How's that going for you, girls? I mean, you live with that guy. How's that respect thing going? It's an impossible requirement unless you have the divine enabling of the Holy Spirit enabling you to accomplish what only God can accomplish. So let me put it in personal terms. One day, Jenny and I were vacationing, and I felt in my heart we were supposed to come back early from the vacation. I just felt we were to get back. When we were coming back from the vacation, I felt like as soon as I landed, I was to call a man in our church, and I was to call him because his wife had cancer. And I called as soon as I landed, and I said, uh, David, can you tell me how things are going? And he said, Pastor, we're at the hospital, and I don't think she's gonna make it out of this. And I said, David, we're heading straight there. So I get there in time that literally I hold his wife's hand, his hand, when she takes her last breath and goes to heaven. Now, A to B, she went from here, she went from there. Soon as she closed her eyes, people say, what is it like when you die? It's like when you were a kid and you fell asleep in the back seat of the car and the next morning you woke up in your bed. All that happened was your daddy carried you there. When you fall asleep here, God just carries you to heaven and you wake up there. 
So never feel sorry for them. It was an easy process for them. They closed your eyes here and woke up up there. But I remember when we were finished and, and she had just passed away. David looks at me and he says, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I said, God's gonna get you through this. He said, she said, no, I don't. I'm not talking about the grief. See, when Karen died, they had seven kids that were all under the age of 17. So you got a single dad with seven kids. He said, she was everything. She held us all together. She's the one who kept us together. She is mama. She is the one that kept all these kids going. I know how to be daddy. I don't know how to be mama. And I looked at him, I said, you have a 45 minute drive to work. I said, when you drive to work every day, I want you to turn off the radio and I want you to pray in the spirit. See, when you get filled with the spirit, God gives you a heavenly prayer language that isn't limited by your head. It's from your heart straight to God. And I said, I want you to pray for 45 minutes. And then on the way home, I want you to pray. So you will have prayed. And I want you to do that every day. I want you to jump ahead. I'm standing at the back door of my church. It's a year later. It's the anniversary. He walks up to me. He says, Pastor, you know it's been one year. And I said, yeah, I know. I miss him. See, can I tell you the difference between you guys and a pastor? When you guys go through death, it's someone that you were close to. When you're a pastor, you carry the weight of everyone who dies in your church. See, I still miss Don. You feel it. And you never forget it. And I said, I know. I said, I miss her to this day too. He said, but do you remember what you told me? And I was thinking, I told you to pray in the spirit. He said, I've done that every day. And said, I wouldn't have been able to believe it. But our family is together. Our family is healthy. Our family is functioning. Because God enabled me to do what I could not do because of his spirit. Now here's the thing. Maybe your life, you can handle it all. Good for you. Great. But if you ever think your life will be in uncontrollable circumstances, can I tell you, you're gonna need the upgrade. Now if you're a Christian, you're going straight to heaven. But God said, I have a free upgrade for you. Why would you say no to it? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, today I pray that you would speak to people. I pray that you would help people. Lord, you're the only one who really knows the circumstances, the moments within the hearts of people. But I pray right now that you will do the most marvelous thing, and that is that you'll help people. Father, you're an amazing God because you're the only one that can take a dad with seven kids and hold a family together. You're the only one that can enable us to walk through the most challenging, difficult times in our life and do something amazing. And I ask you to do that right now. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.